Well, good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your co-host, Marcus Grodi, joined by my son, John Mark. Hello, John Mark. Hello, Dad. Hey, everyone. Glad to be here again. Thank you. Just taking a moment to test the mics, make sure we're online. I, okay. I, uh, I'd asked my producer to see if he had a filter to clean me up a bit, but today was farm day for me, so I... No cigar. <laughs> I, I came in pretty much from the field and uh, out working with cattle this morning. So, but I wanted to get this done because we we wonder we're going to wrap up our study of Cyprian's treatise on the Lord's Prayer today, specifically that section we've been focusing on about uh, Thy will be done. And as we said since the beginning, the the question here is. Uh, and not f- so much praying that God's will be done, but that his will be done in our lives and that we discern what God wants us to do and that we're given the grace to do it. Um, and Cyprian had a long list of, if you will, traits or virtues or qualities that ought to be in our life which then enable us to be more open and, and discerning of the will of God and then more willing to carry it out. And what we're going to do today is we're going to take the last four points of his list and we're going to look at them all together because they seem to, his long list has drawn us actually in a more deeper and if you will, dark aspect of our walk with Christ. And it had a lot to do with the time that Cyprian was writing because of what he and the other Christians were experiencing at the time he was writing in the third century. Um, When we think about Cyprian... One of the battles that Cyprian went through during the time he served as a bishop and even had a a battle with the Bishop of Rome over the issue, and many bishops were disagreeing because they were living at a time of martyrdom. And martyrdom would sometimes be very overt and very dangerous, and other times um, kind of it was put on a back burner. So in many ways, the problem was they never knew whether um, whether their life would be free to live their Christian faith or not. It's funny. I mean, this is not a, a valid comparison, but it almost reminds me about when, when you're out wearing masks today. Uh, you know, you don't know if you if you go somewhere and you don't wear a mask, whether you're going to get in trouble because you don't wear a mask. Because some places... Are, are strictly following the rules and other places are very, being very lenient. So you don't know which business is going to draw the line. And that's a minor comparison to what he was going through because at that time uh, you, you didn't know when all of a sudden the next emperor or the next governor of your area would enforce the rules that were on the books and actually, the truth is, in the early days of our country, from the, the time that the pilgrims landed in 1620 until the end of the American Revolution in the 16, excuse me, 1780s, so for 150 years, all the penal laws of England were uh, in were uh, on the books in the American colonies. So it was against the law to be a Catholic in the American colonies until after the American Revolution. So that's why in New England there were no Catholic priests. There were no uh, outspoken Catholics in New England for 150 years. There were some Catholics in New York. There were some Catholics in Pennsylvania, maybe Rhode Island. There were Jesuit missionaries in Maryland, but but, but the reality 
was, for example, we all remember the poem Evangeline by Longfellow about the Catholics being kicked out of Nova Scotia area, and they eventually had to emigrate south. Uh, they were Acadians, and from that word we get the word Cajun because they ended up in New Orleans. That's why New Orleans has parishes and, and, and that whole Catholic background. But many of those French uh, Acadian Catholics immigrated to the Boston area, but because they couldn't live out their faith, they lived like Protestants. And they would kept their faith hidden because they didn't know at any given moment which person would want to enforce the rules, all of a sudden they're in trouble. That's the way it was during Elizabeth's time. That's the way it was during Cyprian's time. So that's the time he's writing. He's writing before Constantine. So before Christianity was legal in the Roman Empire. So that's the time in which he's living. And let me just open it there, John Mark. Given that, does it apply at all to our day and age? Well, as yes, as always, um, again, we're off, we're taken off guard when we get to a point in our faith where it really is tested. Where we really do have to stand up um, and show courage in in living it out and standing up for our Lord's name, as Cyprian's points uh, concern today. Um, but we should be surprised at our surprise. Because in Scripture, uh, Christ doesn't just warn us, but promises, indicates that that will be part of the journey, that will be part of this process, uh, especially if we keep to it, especially if we proceed all along the way, all along the Beatitudes, that the, the, the moment of, of um, being tested, the moment of, um, of standing up uh, for our Lord's name, that will come. And so uh, everything that leads up to that, we should be preparing for that. We should... Uh, not be overly surprised when it happens and be ready to to do it. We've had a number of popes in our lifetime, as well as cardinals and bishops, that, that are warning us that uh, things are going, they might get tough for us. And some might say, well, if I've put my faith in Jesus Christ, then doesn't that mean that everything's just going to be nice? And what Cyprian is saying, what our Lord said, and what the church has always taught, is that, no, if you're going to take a stand for Christ, you should expect that there's going to be resistance, resistance from the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I do believe we're living at a difficult time. We see it on the news, and it might become more difficult. We might find ourselves in conflicts involving the honor and name of Jesus Christ. We might find ourselves in conflicts involving the honor and name of Jesus Christ. That might be in our community. It might be in our work, depending on where you work. It might be in a neighborhood. It might be in a family in which we find ourselves in a conflict involving the honor and the name of Jesus. And that's the context that Cyprian is talking about. The last four points of his list are these. Standing by his cross with loyalty and courage whenever there is any conflict involving his honor and his name. Manifesting in our speech the constancy of our profession and under torture, confidence for the fight and in dying, the endurance for which we will be crowned. Now in that last phrase, in dying, the endurance for which we will be crowned, it reminds me of many scriptures that, that talk about the necessity of our endurance to the end. In fact, the book of Revelations, when, the, when our Lord is speaking to John and he's writing the letters to the seven churches, nearly every single time 
when he writes to the church and he, he evaluates the condition of the church, whether it's uh, Smyrna or Pergamum or the Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, uh, Ephesus, in the end, he says almost every time, he who conquers shall not be hurt by the second death. Or to, to him who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. Or another place, he says, um, he who conquers shall be clad thus in white garments. Another place, he who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. So the necessity is is holding to the end, no matter what we face. And he's, the context is here, is when specifically we are being persecuted for the honor and the name of Jesus. It's interesting to get to the end of, of uh, Cyprian's list here. And at the end, it takes us actually back to the beginning of the Our Father. You know, the Our Father is a series of petitions that our Lord gives us. Um, and depending on how you group them and number them. But either way, the, the first petition, the first and primary petition of the Our Father is Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And that's what all these points that Cyprian is ending with are about. Uh, they're all about the virtue of courage, um, but not simply natural human courage, natural human courage elevated by grace, by the theological virtues to be something supernatural, by which we would uh, see that first petition carried out. And again, just like thy will be done, we know God's will will be done. We're asking for it to be done in us. And in these, in these petitions too, we want uh, our Father's name to be hallowed, but we're praying more specifically that we, that we endure, that we conquer, that we ourselves instantiate the hallowed, the, the hallowing of the Father's name. And that's, that's where he ends this list with this returning to the beginning of the, of the Our Father. Will we, in our lives, and not just in the, the, in the difficult times, but all the way up until those times, in the ordinary times, will the hallowing of the Lord's name be my first and primary um, petition and will? I remember um, early in my journey as a Catholic, as I reflected on liturgical prayer, having come from a, an evangelical tradition where it was more, the emphasis more spontaneous prayer, well, in my journey into the church is learning to appreciate liturgical prayer, uh, litanies of prayer, and then even actually for the first time in my life, truly coming to appreciate the Our Father yeah. uh, and thinking about it. And I remember once thinking about the Our Father as the description of a standing in the presence of God. If you will, you're standing in the presence of God, and the first parts of the prayer are you're addressing God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then there's give us this day our daily bread. It was almost discussing my, the moment at which we stand. Recognizing his holiness, now, okay, Lord, give me what I need today. Give us this day our daily bread, what we need. And then it was as if we're, 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 we're putting aside the things in our life that pull us away from God. You know, forgive us our trespasses to the left as we forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then, if you will, the rest of the Our Father that was added in the Didache, and which is part of liturgy, you know, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So, I mean, it turns our focus back to God. I mean, that's, that's a, if you will, a, 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 a physicalness of the, of the prayer. And he posits, Cyprian posits us in this prayer in the midst of persecution for what we've just prayed for, as you said, John Mark, his honor, his glory. And we're challenged for that. And if we're truly a Christian and we take a stand for Jesus, 
we will be challenged for that. And we can become very skilled at avoiding conflict, keeping it to ourselves. Um, The time that Cyprian was writing, you could be, Cyprian was martyred eventually for what he's talking about. Standing by his cross with loyalty and courage, manifesting in our speech the constancy of our profession. So the first time is standing, and then, John Mark, we think about other scriptures that talk about the tongue. Yeah. What comes out of our mouth? Right. Yeah, and that one made me think, yeah, this this notion of standing— uh, with loyalty encouraged by the cross, we might think in terms of just how we how we order our lives, the you know the, the sort of life that we lead. But then in terms of our speech, you know, it makes me think of of the myriad ways um, that the Lord's name may be taken in vain, you know, or not hallowed in our world today. It's not just when someone says very specifically and concretely, you know, I I don't I don't care about God or uh, curses God. It's also in the ways in which the imago dei, the image of God in human beings, uh, is distorted or destroyed or disfigured or dishonored. And we think about the great evils of our culture today, abortion being one of the preeminent ones as the church directs us. You know, we have, we have the taking of innocent human life, but we also have the, you know, the by implication, the um, the destruction of the image of God in these people. We have a denial of their being persons made in the image of likeness of God. That denial, that is, that is a, a cursing the name of God. That is taking the Lord's name in vain. That's, and so uh, even beyond that, in our speech, and, that, and this is where it gets into many of the issues of our culture, where so many of the battles surround speech, you know, the speech that either reflects God and the nature that he has created us in and the purpose purposes for which he's created us. So many of those battles come down to speech, the way that we talk about our human sexuality or the dignity of human persons or the nature of marriage. So many of these other issues, they do, if we, if we trace them back, they come back to whether or not we're affirming God as the creator and author of life and the purposes for which he's created us. And so in our speech too, um, do do we maintain the constancy of that profession even as the culture war culture wars uh, heat up and mm-hmm. even the, the battlegrounds of our speech become so so prominent yeah I, I do believe and I've heard so many writers and speakers talk about the times we're going through and anticipating that things might even get more of a challenge you'd be surprised if they don't actually the direction things are going the juxtaposition of standing by the cross and constancy of a profession, both of those words, standing and constancy, are are a straight ahead affirming of Christ our Lord Jesus and not going to the side. And of course, when when Stephen when Cyprian wrote this in the third century, the, the reality is most of the people who were in the pews, if you will, on Sunday, if there were pews, there weren't pews yet, but if they were in the little home churches or whatever, they, they didn't have a Bible in their hands. They would hear it read from the pulpit during Mass, but they, they didn't have the avail. Most, very few people had availability because the costs and there's no printing yet. It was all done by hand. So, so what would be the image of the cross that they may have in their mind? Who was there by the cross in the end? Peter? No. No one except John and Mary. Standing by the cross. Constancy of our profession. You know, and and of course we hear from uh, from the cross our Lord speaking, you know. Mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. In that standing by the cross, in that constancy of their loyalty, we see 
uh, our Lord from the cross affirming the church whom John represents and our mother, the relationship between the, the church and our lady because of standing by the cross, loyalty and courage, constancy of profession. And that's to be our model. And then the last two from that, so if we're in a conflict involving his honor and, and his name, do, do we have the courage and loyalty to stand by his cross? Standing by his cross, what does that mean? He gave his life for us. That's what the cross means. While we were yet sinners, he died for us, Romans 5. You know, that, that's what we stand by. Uh, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. Standing by the cross. Um, whenever I see a, a crucifix, it reminds me that our Lord said, There'll be one signed, and that's like, you know, when he's raised up. When he's raised up, will we stand by with loyalty and courage? And then when we're challenged to speak, what comes out of our mouth? Yeah. And once again, the the crucifix, sometimes the question is is put to Catholics, or not put to Catholics, maybe it's just in people's minds, but why do we keep the crucifix so front and center? Why is that our emblem? Not just the cross, but the crucifix. You know, and it's bound up in what's going on here. We we don't, you know, we're drawn to uh, that that crux of Christ's life, where that ultimate choice of love, laying down his life for his friends. Um, that's what we point to. That's what we stand beside, and that's what we embrace as something that we're going to take part in. And it's going to look different in every one of our lives, but we too are going to take part in that in that offering of ourselves. Um, the courage that that we're called to here again it's it's not just the the natural human courage, which there's a sort a sort of natural human courage which is still stands in relation to this world and this worldly concerns. You know, I'm gonna I need to be courageous courageous in in and this or that concern in order to get ahead in this world in order to be successful in this world. But of course, we're not made for this world. And so it's in faith, hope, and love. It's in our relationship with Christ that we're, we're drawn further to a supernatural courage which, um, in which we hope for what lies beyond. We recognize that even the most successful, the most courageous person in this world, you're still going to die. You still have to go through the cross. Um, and so the, the courage to endure suffering and death but remain in in trust and in hope uh, of the resurrection. That that's what we're we're um, we're challenged with, but we're given the grace uh, if we if we persevere. We're given the grace to have that. But we'll look at a verse pretty soon about um, about the fiery ordeal that we will go through if we're Christians. That's why I, personally I like a crucifix as opposed to the resurrection cross. Uh, because, yeah, there will be a time when Christ comes again and we'll celebrate the victory. And we know it's coming, but we're still in the time that our Lord says we will fight the battle. And these first two things talk about when we find ourselves in the battle, in all the different situations we might encounter, Will we stand firm? Will our words proclaim Christ? Will the, will our words express a constancy of profession as opposed to, I'm Catholic, but. I'm Christian, but. And there are people in the news that we see. On the one hand, they call themselves Catholic, but then they'll promote unchristian values? Is there a constancy of our profession? And when, when you do that, you're going to anticipate a backlash. And so 
how will you respond to that? And the, if you will, the third of our list today that we're looking at is he says, under torture, confidence for the fight. You know, we don't think of getting tortured today. But, but what does that mean in today's experience? That means people doing things to force us to change our confession. Doing things in our life or to our family to, to force us to submit, to give up our faith, to give up you know, the foundations of our faith, even deny Christ. And I don't know what the level of torture we might experience. Truth is, some around the world do. We've seen pictures of it. We've seen pictures of Christians tortured and, and murdered in the Middle East. We know what happens. In China, it happens. We know it still happens in many places around the world. It, may, it probably happens in some of our cities today when people take a stand. So under that kind of pressure, Cyprian says, have confidence for the fight. Why confidence for the fight? Because we know who's our Lord and Savior. And what, how, that, what the vict- we know the victory is there. We have to remember that. That's the theological virtue of hope. We know what's there. We know what's there. And then the fourth point, he even takes farther. Not just torture, but dying. In dying, the endurance for which we will be crowned. In in dying, the endurance for which we will be crowned. Holding on to the end. Again, that theological virtue of hope, knowing what's there. Knowing what's there. I'm reminded of another verse that Paul says that we're closer, salvation is closer, closer than when we first began. Not just for old guys like me, but for you too, John Mark, and all of us. Yeah. Salvation is closer than than when it was. Um, so how are we how are we standing? How are we speaking? Where is our confidence? Are we enduring? That's the issues he's talking about in today. So we've chosen a few verses. We could choose a a lot, but since it's deep in Scripture, we want to get deep in Scripture on on this topic. So here's a few of them. Um, John Mark, I'll read the first one, then I'll let you read the the Matthew 16 passage. But let's the first batch that I've pulled together come from the Beatitudes, and they're the end of the Beatitudes, but— I've gone beyond the Beatitudes, and I think it's important that essentially out of the same breath, if you will, of our Lord, these all fit together. Because he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so men persecuted the prophets who were before you. You were the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trodden underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, the the first two verses in that list, which are the last of the Beatitudes, being persecuted for righteousness' sake, or, or being reviled and persecuted um, and attacked, even falsely on the count of Christ, that was the end of the Beatitudes, which, if you will, are the are the last of the stepping stones in the Beatitudes uh, staircase of of conversion. 
He's telling his followers that if you if you live this way, you'll be different, and the world will notice you'll be different. And as a result of that, the world's not going to like it. And at first, you'll get persecuted for righteousness' sake. You're going to draw uh, challenges just because you're trying to live a good life. People, it'll make people uncomfortable. They think you're doing that as a as a statement against them when you're just trying to live a good life. And that will bring resistance. And that will bring hate speech. And that's when my men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. It goes over and above. And uh, we've seen that in the history of the church. Um, but John Mark, I was, what's your thoughts? I, why have I included the verses on salt and light in this? Well, I, I guess just what comes to my mind is, again, the connection in the beginning of the Our Father between hallowing the Father's name and then the question of whether or not we really do will that his will be done in our lives. You know, his will is for the world to be saved, for men to come to know him, for men to, to be happy with him in heaven. We know what the Lord desires for all people, God is love. Um, but to be that salt and light, you know, we, we have to, we have to remain, we have to endure. Um, and we have, to, again, there's significance to that petition being first, that we, we put the, the Lord first. We, we, there were a number of earlier points in Cyprian's list that pointed to that, that purity of heart that we're, we're seeking. Um, and it's in persecution, it's in difficulty that we recognize, we discover, perhaps to our chagrin, the impurity of our heart. We recognize, oh, there are still other things I prefer to God. Maybe my own comfort. Maybe my, it's, it's interesting to have that righteousness sake first. Um, maybe before I'm persecuted, um, well, perhaps I, there's even a part of me that, uh, that likes being the one who's living that good life in the world. But it, at some point, um, our, our, our love of self and our love of the Lord and our hallowing of the Lord's name, those two get separated and we too make a choice, you know, which one we really hold on to, which one we really uh, put first. If we are in Christ, through faith and baptism, we've been changed. The old is gone, the new has come. We're new creation. We're his adopted children. We're parts of the family, the body of Christ. We've, we've received the Holy Spirit and grace. If you will, we're in the process of being divinized, to use the words of Scripture and the, and the patristic fathers. We're being changed. And that isn't just for us, it's for the world. And we are, as that's why Jesus says that we, because of that, are now the salt and the light in this dark world, tasteless dark world. And that's why we're here. That's why he left us here. He didn't. And, and what's interesting is that in John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17, when our Lord is speaking in the upper room during the Last Supper, he's speaking specifically to the leaven. We're assuming Judas is already gone. So he, he's specific. But in the Beatitudes, he's speaking to all those, the whole crowd, everyone that's come around. So this applies to us. If you've come to Christ, you are the salt and the light in the world in which you or I have been placed. And if there's to be any salt or light in that space, it's going to come through us. And the devil doesn't want that to happen. And so that's why the persecution. And if we don't stand by his cross with loyalty and courage, if our word isn't a constant profession, we don't hold true under torture, under pressure, even if it means death then our salt loses its taste and our light is hid under a bushel.
And so it's it's really either we our our life and our words either become salt in this world or we haven't lived out our profession the way we're called to do it. All right, John Mark, why don't you read our next passage, Matthew 16, 24 through 27. Let's see. I don't think it's on this list. It's one oh, I that's added right. later. That's right. We added to this toward the end. Okay, so. Ma- Matthew 16, 24 through 27. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake, my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay every man for what he has done. There again, you know, at, at the end of all things, we recognize there's the last thing to go is, is, is even not just love of the world and the things of the world, but even love of ourselves. You know, would we, in the end, would we even give up our life? Would we give up ourselves to put Christ first? And that's going to be the final test. Um, and we, again, we shouldn't be surprised for it. It's part of life. It's baked into life. Whether it happens, happens in an explicit way, like in, in martyrdom, or the persecution of Christians, or in a, a more subtle way, it, it does happen. It's part of the process. In the context, it really does fit. Um, if we're in a conflict involving his honor and his name, and we're receiving persecution because of it, and and we're being called to stand by his cross, uh, that our whatever comes out of our mouth need needs to be a constant profession of our faith, even when we're tortured, if you will, even if it might mean death. Jesus says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. So in other words, if you cave with the goal of saving your life, you've lost what it is we've been called to share the salt and light in the world around us. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, someone might hear that and say, that's awful radical. You're demanding a lot. It's the words of Jesus. Is it possible that like frogs in a soup, our entire lives would become so accustomed to a Christianity that has conformed to the world, that when we hear the very words of Christ, we say, that's too much for me. But that's what he said. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will gain it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? For what shall a man give in return for his life? For the Son of Man is to come. And he's going to reward us for what we do in this life. In the context, what we do under persecution. Because that may be very the, the very time in our life that our Lord's been waiting for. And how we will stand for him. We'll go to another verse. All these are from Matthew so far. Matthew 10, 16 through 23. He's, he's preparing his apostles for the world, for what's going to come if they are going to be his followers. I can't help it, John Mark. I, whenever I, I read something like this and I think about us as his disciples standing forth, I remember that image from, I think it's Laurel and Hardy when they're, they're getting ready for the French Foreign Legion. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. They're standing in a line, and then they ask for volunteers, and they're there, and everybody else takes a step back, and they're left by themselves. So, you know. Yeah. Well, here we are, folks. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men. 
For they will deliver you up to consuls and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear testimony before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you up, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver up brother to death and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. I mean, a lot of this, John Mark, kind of affirms everything we've been talking about so far. Right. Now, one point I just wanted to draw attention to in, in this passage, because at the beginning of the passage and uh, near the end, there is... Um, Something something is pointed out that I, that is important to point out since a lot of what we're talking about today involves the virtue of courage. You know, all of Cyprian's points involve courage—the courage of endurance or attack, perseverance. They're all bundled up in this in this natural human virtue. Um, but he he points out that we need to be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. He also points out to the end that when they persecute in one town, flee to the next, and a point needs to be made here that uh, the virtue of courage, um, as Joseph Pieper puts it, 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 it can't depend on itself. It has, to, it has to rely on the virtue of prudence. In other words, um, we can be very temperamentally courageous in terms of our, our natural human temperament, but courage always derives its reason from prudence. In other words, we, we first have to have to set out on this life. We have to reason. We have to discern. We have to say, what what's God calling me to? And then we put our shoulder against that obstacle or that mission, that task, and we do it. Um, there, there, there can be, without that understanding, there can be, um, again, uh, courage in the wrong time in the wrong way. You know, there can be a question about, you know, for instance, sometimes it's difficult in this day and age when we're surrounded by so much uncertainty, it's difficult to um, to endure in living our vocation well. You know, we're surrounded by news media, we're surrounded by social media. It's very easy to neglect the endurance in what God has given us because we're spending our time anticipating how things are going to end or how things are going to get bad or the, the coming persecution or the coming whatever it is. And the point is, no, he's calling us to courage, but we have to always ground that courage in our reason, in our discernment. And this whole, this whole, um, this whole treatise by Cyprian is about discernment. And so, you know, that this this courage comes in the context of all that's come before it, all the discernment, the discernment about our vocation, about our Christian life, what he's called us to do, and we have to endure in in what he's given us, uh, and and do that wisely, do that shrewdly. So that then, the, and the, when the moment when when we're called up for that act of courage, for that perhaps that martyrdom, perhaps that persecution, then we, we do it. We do it gladly. We do it openly. But but that courage has to be grounded in the discern, discernment about what God's will is for us. Uh, yeah, there's an interesting uh, Paul Harvey rest of the story aspect of Cyprian. Yeah. Uh, again, I wish I had the. Uh, the text before me to make sure I get the story right. But the truth is that during a time when he was a bishop and during a time of, of, of uh, growing persecution, Cyprian left the city and hid for a time. And he was criticized that by many later, but his reasoning was that he had, in his discernment, had, had decided what's the best for his community to die or to preserve himself as their leader so he could still lead them from afar because he right. he didn't run completely away he still worked as their bishop but in hiding and he took some heat for that but in his defense it was his argument that this is what he believed that God was calling him to do at that moment for the good of his community right. later when the persecution 
eased off. He came back, strengthened people, was with them, and then there was a time when an argument rose concerning the lapsed, which were those who had folded under persecution and had sacrificed to the gods. And so then later they repented and came back. And the question was, well, could they come back after that? Could they be saved? And actually it was during that period that much of our modern confession and penance began to be developed because they had to figure out, well, what is necessary for somebody to come back after they've done this horrendous thing? And that's when the modern uh, uh sacrament of penance started taking shape. But then later when persecution rose up again, did Cyprian run? No. At that time, he realized that his calling was to stand and die. And he did. Dying, he endured to the end. So our Lord here was saying, this is going to happen, even from your families. And are they prepared for it, to take a stand? Knowing that, and I love it when you when you put it in the context of manifesting in our speech the constancy of our profession. Profession, Jesus promised that when this happens, the Spirit will inspire you by grace to say what is true. The question is, will we will we say what the Spirit is inspiring us to do, or will we be afraid? Will we fold? Will we give the good word, or will we try to save our lives, as as our Lord had talked about in that verse? All right, John Mark, why don't you go ahead to the next one, then? Okay, this is Matthew 10. Uh, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father. Who is in heaven? Yeah, this verse um, is a uh, a strong verse because it it says that there is a direct connect, somehow a mysterious direct connect between how we how our speech. The constancy of our speech, the constancy of our profession, that there's a direct connect between that and God's affirmation of us when we one day stand before him. Right. Again, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord said, hey, not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom. And all these people say, hey, but we did good things. We ran apostolates and we... We did this, and we had podcasts, and we did all this neat stuff for you. And Jesus says, but I didn't know you. I didn't know you. And so we that have— knowing, the, Yeah, and that knowing is the point. There's such an—there's an intimacy in this verse, you know, the yeah. denial or the affirmation amongst you and Christ, amongst you and the Father. And again, it, as you say, it points to that this is not in the end about— things we do it's not about tasks or checkboxes it's about a relationship it's about becoming a person that can be invited into that relationship of the trinity uh, and we can, so he has to draw us back to that from time to time lest we get caught in, in thinking that it's just about the things that we do this self-reliance this uh, even this this pride in the good that we do no it ultimately has to come back to this relationship that we're called to. Something came to mind was the the beginning of the book of Job. Um, when um, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, Whence have you come? And Satan answered, Well, I've been... Uh, you know, I've been bouncing around on the earth, and uh, and the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, blameless and upright man, who fears God and turns away from evil? 
And it made me think about our Lord acknowledging us before the Father or denying us before the Father. Is our Lord going to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant? And is our Lord going to speak to his Father and say, look at look at my servant John Mark or my servant Mark or whomever. Look at what they did in their life. Or are they going to say, eh, eh? It reminds me of, I don't remember which passage it was, but during the our discussion on the, on the fear of God, um, the one about the friendship with God is for the man who fears God or something to that effect. Yeah. It feels one of the Psalms, you know, but that, um, that on the other side of that holy fear uh, is a friendship God's calling us to. But somehow the holy fear, the reverence, the respect for the reality of who God is, is a necessary hump or a necessary portal to get there. Um, and thinking about, you know, again, going back to the fear of God for a moment, fear of God in relationship to this, this, uh, this topic about hallowing the name of the Father, about the, the, uh, the honor of the Lord's name. Certainly there's, we, we all have a certain sense of piety. Most of us don't regularly use the Lord's name in vain, but we tend to only think of that issue of using the Lord's name in vain in, in a sort of an issue of, of politeness or manners. Like, oh shoot, I did it again. Something like that. Or, <laughs> or I don't know that program, the person using the Lord's name in vain. We never think of it in terms of in terms of fear. You know, there was a healthy fear in the old Testament in Judaism, for the Lord's name, for even speaking the Lord's name. Yeah, 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 yeah. When Jesus, we don't have the details in the scriptures of somebody describing the room that Jesus was standing in and what he looked like when he was giving this talk or where he was looking. But if you could imagine if he's, he was speaking to his group of of followers, and in the midst of that group is a man named Simon, whom Jesus knows what Simon's going to do. And as Jesus speaks through all this, he turns his attention to a guy named Simon and says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And it reminds us of a moment after Peter has denied him three times that he weeps. And why later, after the resurrection, when Peter sees him from the boat, he cannot hold himself back. He jumps into the water to leave everybody else to bring in the fish because he wants to grovel before the risen Lord. And we see the forgiveness. Peter, do you love me? And he says, I love you, three times. And then Jesus reaffirms his call, then feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Yeah, I love that whole scene, you know, because again, again, this, this reestablishment of that friendship, that intimacy, you know, that they, they see him from the boat, they come to shore, and he's making them breakfast. You know, I love the, the intimacy, the friendship there that the Lord shares with those who fear him properly. Peter is properly chastened by what has happened and repentant, and he yeah. weeps. That so whole, he's invited back into the Lord's friendship. That whole thing says that, that this isn't redeemable. If you turn in penitence, things can change. Right. I'm reminded of, oh, I, I don't have it in front of me, but... In the Old Testament, you know, just before the flood, Scripture says that God looked around and said, man, everybody's messed up. Why did I do this? I'm going to destroy everything. Deservedly. And then he sees Noah. Boom. But if everybody before the flood was totally gone, their hearts are gone, but well, what about in the beginning when Adam and Eve had totally turned from God? Everything was done. And 
I was Aaron. We we're reading Irenaeus in against heresies, and Irenaeus points out something about Adam. Is that why was Adam hiding in the garden when he realized his nakedness? He wasn't hiding from God. He was hiding in shame. He was penitent. He was like Peter jumping from the boat. He realized he was wrong. The reason God gave humanity a second chance after Adam was because of Adam's penitence. We have a second chance. If we listen to this word and we realize that we have not acknowledged him before men, if our speech has not been constant, if we've not stood by the cross, if we've folded under pressure, we can turn to him. Because it says in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness because we have a Redeemer. We can turn. And we can turn, but when we turn, now we're called to stand and speak and be courageous because we're given another chance. The last verse that we had on our list comes from 1 Peter. So if you will, this comes from the very person we're talking about. This is the very person who folded, but then received the great forgiveness of our risen Lord. And this is later, as the churches spread in the diaspora around the Mediterranean, and, and, and Simon Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes upon you to prove you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or a wrongdoer or a mischief maker. Yet if one suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But under that name, let him glorify God. For the time has come for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous man is scarcely saved, where will the impious and sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will do right and entrust their souls to a faithful creator. I mean, that really kind of brings it all together, if you will, of what we've been discussing, it doesn't it, John Mark? Yeah. Yeah, I, the piece in the middle, uh, I, I like that. <laughs> I like the distinction made, you know, let, uh, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or wrongdoer, mischief maker. <laughs> you know, again, be sure that your courage and the, the persecution that comes for your Christianity, for your faith, be sure that it comes not because of your scandal, not because of your sin, but because of your faith standing up. Um, sometimes we can, uh, well, again, in, in our in our argumentative culture, in our polarized culture, sometimes we can get drawn into the wrong battles at the wrong times in the wrong ways. We contribute to the scandal. We contribute to the noise. But it's it's in it's in tempering that, holding back, being faithful to what God's given us, that we're then at the again at the right time in the right way. He'll lead us. He'll bring us to that situation wherein it's the truth that we speak. It's the integrity of our life. That's what shines forth. That's what's the salt and light. And the persecution that we receive um, is because of that. It's not because of our sin. It's not because of our brashness. It's not because of our, our vainglorious uh, desire to be seen as the martyr. It's because we really did hold fast. And now we're at this point where it's it's because of Christ in us that we... Um, that we suffer, but that, that in that it's our glory. Yeah, it's it's not only true today, but it's been true for a long time 
that the media has sometimes lifted up people as martyrs that really weren't deservedly so. We don't stand in judgment of anyone, but they weren't being standed up because they were holy, because they were models of Christ, or because they were willing to die for our Lord Jesus. But, you know, they were martyred, but they weren't virtuous. And they become a model or a martyr for a cause. And that's what he says, you know, that's not martyrdom. Martyrdom is taking a stand. If you if you are reproached for the name of Christ, you are blessed. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Yeah, is, is the Lord's name hallowed because of you? Or as it says elsewhere, and you probably know the reference, I don't remember it, but or is the Lord's name cursed among the Gentiles because of you? Yeah. You know, in the end it's gonna be one or the other. Yeah, I just just this morning, um, and we're recording this on Thursday. The reason I say this is uh, uh, Thursday, September, what is it, seventeenth, eighteenth, seventeenth? The reason I say that is if you go to the Office of Readings in the mornings right now, um, every day we're reading different portions of a sermon that St. Augustine wrote on on two pastors. And this morning's reading, in fact, was about bad shepherds about bad shepherds who lead not only the, not only the weak sheep but the strong sheep away because in and Augustine says in the quote well if he's doing it i guess it's all right for me to do it so in other words are we honoring the name of Christ through our lives or are we dishonoring him and pulling people with us and you never know who's watching you. Not, not all of you are going to have your, your farm-ridden face on a podcast where you know a lot of people are, might be watching. But the truth is, you never know who might be watching. Your grandchildren, your children, your neighbors, your family, someone in your family that doubts the reality of Christ, and you may not even know it. They may be hiding that inside because they're they don't want to talk about it, and but but they're listening to you. What what is your stand? Are you standing by the cross of Christ? Are your words a constant profession of your faith in all the moments? Um, that's what Cyprian's calling us to do. Difficult times. Well, John Mark, that kind of wraps up this list from Cyprian. Yeah, it's quite a study, quite a journey. I thought it's been good. I hope the, uh, for me it has been, I hope it's been for all of you who have been watching us. Um, I want to, uh, so we're closing our time with Cyprian. I'm not sure what we'll do next on Deep in Scripture, but I do want to take this moment, John Mark, give you an opportunity to tell the audience about the new series that you hope to start soon. Yeah, well, I, I think two different directions, you know, arise from here. Um, um, so, yes, as you've mentioned a couple of times, we have, we have another uh, show starting here on this channel or uh, your on podcast here on the Coming Home Network label. Um, it'll be called Deep in Christ. We'll be talking about uh, abiding in Christ. And, you know, again, the Coming Home Network is, is here as a network of people who have embraced full communion with the Catholic Church or people who are on that journey. Um the point of this show will not be necessarily to talk about the differences, but to, to say, you know, wherever we are at in that journey, each of us has the grace, has what we need to uh, continue to grow closer to Christ wherever we're at, in whatever situation we're in. And really, our, the, the ability, our ability to, to follow God further to where he's calling us, whether that is what we believe that is in the Catholic Church, but for you to continue on your journey, it's dependent on whether you can continue to go deeper in Christ today. So we're going to be talking about prayer, about virtue, uh, 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 you know, about study, 
about the about life in Christ, different aspects of that should be good conversation. But also, I would say too, we just finished up this um, this study of Cyprian um, over on your uh, other show, Dad. Uh, you and Monsignor Steenson are studying more of the early church fathers, and again, uh, I think Cyprian uh, is a great example of how the early church fathers give us a, a great, great teaching, great wisdom. They they dump us right into Scripture. They get us right up to our necks in, you know, in in God's Word, and give us much to think about. And so, you know, if if hopefully this study has piqued your interest in the early church fathers, continue that study as well. Yeah, and I would encourage you, those of you that especially listen to John Mark's new program, that if you have any questions about aspects of the spiritual walk, of what it means to be in Christ, to remain in Christ, uh, if you're making the transition from one spirituality to the next, if you're coming from a, a, a Baptist or a Pentecostal or a, a Lutheran background and you're moving into the Catholic Church, you're examining the Catholic Church, and you're wondering, well, what's the difference and being in Christ. That's what John Mark's program will address. So if you have any questions, please pass those along so that John Mark and his guests can address those questions because more than anything else, we in the Coming Home Network want to be able to respond to your questions about what it means to be a Catholic Christian. Yeah. All right, once again, thank you all for joining us on these programs. I hope they've been an encouragement to you and we'll look forward to being with you on the next Deep in Scripture episode. God bless. Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum, and more, visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.